Well, happy Father's Day to all of you out there. I'm particularly excited. This is my first Father's Day as a father, so it's a really special day for me. I, I kind of feel like I've had, you know, I'm a Brit, a little bit of culture shock up here. This is not normal for me. So if I'm a little bit dazed in the middle of this, that's, that's why. Um, <laughs> So I was reflecting on, on fatherhood and the, and the role of the man in the home, and, and they say that, that a man's home is his castle, but yet that doesn't lead to him being given the license to decorate, does it? <laughs> There's one exception, though, and that's his throne. I'm talking about the dad chair. You know, you know what sort of chair I'm talking about? Yeah? You know the one? When we first walked into the apartment that we live in, and it was already furnished, I immediately saw it. It was this large, brown, leather recliner. Made me think of sitting there, drinking scotch, (laughs) reading fine leather-bound books, coaching Seahawks games on Sunday afternoons. (laughs) Despite the fact that I don't like scotch, and no one makes fine leather-bound books, and I, I have no idea about football. What is it? It's that game that they're playing the World Cup in at the moment, right? But I'm not the only one with a dad chair. I know that our beloved Pastor Mark has an equally well-appointed recliner in his living room. In fact, it's the place where he writes most of his sermons. We like to call it the holy place because the Holy Spirit is said to hover there. He went down to Mexico with our high schoolers recently, and while he was gone, his wife Cindy and their life group moved all the furniture in their living room around, brought some new stuff in, kind of redecorated a little bit. And in the process, they drew a line on the floor to make it very clear what was Pastor Mark's domain and what was the common ground for everyone else. (laughs) Pastor Mark loves his recliner so much, he's used it for so many years that it's actually started to wear away a little bit on the armrest. But instead of replacing it, he just decided to do some of his handiwork and put some duct tape on there. Um, Cindy insists that they replace this chair, but he refuses, saying that he loves this chair so much. So, if you would like to start a chair reupholstery fund for the pastor, then I am sure he would be very grateful for that. The dad chair. Psychologist Sally Augustine says, generally the dad chair is a protected base for the dominant male in a home. The dad chair is the throne of the modern-day home. And thrones have always been symbols of power and authority. Thrones have, have always been the place that leaders sit. Leaders sit in places of power and authority, and leaders sit on thrones. This is a real, like, bluegrass throne. I like it. Leaders sit on thrones. That's what we think. Even, even if today's thrones don't look quite like the thrones of yesteryear or the throne of my beloved queen in England. God save the queen. <laughs> and actually, leaders sit on thrones is what two of Jesus' disciples think in the scripture passage that we're going to read today. So grab your Bibles. There are a few Bibles in front of you. If you haven't brought your Bible with you, and turn to Mark chapter 10. Verse 35. If you've got a pew Bible, it's on page 855, and it's Mark 10, verse 35. I'd love you to have this sign in front of you this morning, because I'm going to be walking through this step by step, and I would love you to be able to see it as we move through. So grab a copy of the Bible, open it up, Mark 10, verse 35, and let's read. 
Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would speak through the words of your Son by the power of your Holy Spirit. And it is in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So we're in the midst of a couple of months talking all about work. We've said that work is good. We've said that work is a part of who we are. We've come up with a definition from work, a biblical definition, which is work is doing something with what God gives you so that the world thrives and Jesus is glorified. Now, this is all wonderfully idealistic, but the reality is that when Monday morning hits, It doesn't really matter what was said on Sunday morning, whether you heard about how God cares for your work or not, but when the rubber hits the road, things are not as easy as it might be, might have been made out to be on Sunday. And that's why last week we began a new five-week series called Undercover Boss. We're going to spend this time talking about how we deal with the reality of work in a broken, fallen, sin-filled world. And this week, we're asking the question, how am I called to lead? Now, this isn't just a sermon for those of you who are business leaders out there in the marketplace, because the reality is that as Christians, every single one of us is called to lead by Jesus as we fulfill his great commission to make disciples. Now, Two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, who we see from this passage, their brothers, they thought that they knew what leadership looked like. I kind of cringe at the way they come up to Jesus at the beginning of this passage. Take a look down, verse 35. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Parents, can you imagine... If one of your children came up to you and asked that very question, Mom, Dad, I want you to do for me whatever I ask. How would you respond? Hmm, let me think for a second. No. (laughs) Jesus is a little bit more tactful than that. Have a look, verse 36. Jesus responds with a question. He says, what do you want me 
to do for you. He's, he's not going to be cornered into giving them anything. And so the brothers tell him, they say, verse 37, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, they knew that Jesus was a king. And they knew that they were two of his top three leaders. Remember, we've got Peter, James, and John. They're like the Jesus's inner three. And so this was James and John's chance to kind of cement their leadership, make sure everyone knew that they were leaders by being given thrones on Jesus's right and Jesus's left. And in the process, they were kind of trying to cut Peter out of the deal here. They wanted to make sure that they were the important ones. You see, the reality is that many of us think just like James and John do when it comes to leadership. We think leadership is about a position of power and authority, uh, a rank, a title. We think leadership is about sitting on a throne. But is that what leadership is all about? I'll be honest with you, I've never felt less equipped to speak on a topic in my entire life than on this very one. I mean, what can a 25-year-old say to a bunch of successful leaders in a congregation that averages, uh, its average age is twice, more than twice my age? Um, there's kind of no hope. So I came up with two, two ideas. I decided I'd let Jesus speak, and that's why I'm using the Bible. And the second one is that I spoke to some of the successful leaders that are out there in this congregation to understand from their perspective what were some of the, the gems that they had in this regard? And one of them, Steve Maxwell, who wrote our blog this week, told me this. The common perception in the workplace is that leadership is about authority and title, but it's much more than that. It's true, isn't it? There are many people who have authority and title and yet lead in a terrible way that does not cause the world to thrive. I spoke to another successful business leader from our congregation who at one time in his career was brought on as president of a local branch of a national organization. About the same time, his supervisor was also new in his job. The supervisor was the regional director in this organization. And and this regional director was an intelligent man. But this was the first time he'd been given a position with this much power and authority. And, and sadly, he, he just didn't know how to deal with it. He thought that the way to lead was to suck up to those people above him and then to tell everyone below him how it should be done. As I'm sure you can guess what happened, the people below him began to be alienated from him. They actually began to hate him. And it, it got to uh, a point where they wouldn't even follow through on the orders and the decisions that he was making. Of course, he he lost his job because he couldn't lead. Sadly for him, he didn't seem to learn any lessons. He he went on to be in a similar position in another state. And as part of that job, he broke a number of state laws. And that resulted in a, a stay in federal prison. See, we often think that we need power and authority in order to lead. Or that if we have power and authority, that it will automatically make us great leaders. But this just isn't true. And Jesus knows it isn't true in our passage. So let's see how Jesus responds to the brother's request to sit on thrones at his right and his left. Verse 38. 
You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? You see, Jesus is a king, and Jesus will one day sit on a throne and rule and reign over a kingdom, but he knows that the way to get there is not the way of glory, the way of lording it over people, the way of the throne. He knows the way to get there is the way of suffering, the way of sacrifice, the way of death, the way of the cross. Jesus knows that the cup he will drink will be one of misery, and the baptism he will be baptized with will be one of fire. And so he asks these brothers, can you do this? Surprisingly, they they respond in verse 39 by saying, we can. And actually, the, the truth is they will. They both go on to suffer intense persecution for their faith. James is eventually executed for being a believer in Jesus. John is exiled to the island of Patmos. But Jesus goes on to tell them in verse 40 40, that even though they will suffer as he suffers, to sit at his right or left is not for him to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And we shall see that those places are not necessarily the places that James and John are thinking of. Now, of course, this causes a furor amongst the other ten disciples. They cannot believe it. Verse 41 says, they became indignant with James and John. I mean, how dare they ask such a thing? How dare they think themselves more important than us? So Jesus uses this opportunity to teach them what true leadership is looks like. Not the way of the throne, but the way of the cross. Look at verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who were regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus says, you think this is what leadership looks like? Lording it over people, exercising your authority? Well, it's not. Great leadership comes in serving, in being a slave to all. You can almost imagine the disciples going, what? Leaders don't serve Leaders don't wash feet. Leaders don't serve the dinner. Leaders don't clean up. Leaders are out in front. Leaders press forward. Leaders are too busy to do things like that. They have people to do those things for them. And yet Jesus redefines great leadership. He says leadership is not the way of the throne, lording it over people, but the way of the cross, being a slave to all. And what's interesting is Jesus is not the only one to pick up on how effective this form of leadership is. You saw Brian on the screens earlier. He's one of my good friends. He was encouraging me a couple of months ago to watch a TED talk by a, uh, a guy called Simon Sinek, who's an author and he speaks on leadership all the time. Now, he's not a Christian, but what he said blew me away in how close he got to quoting Jesus in this passage. Here's here's what he said. 
Leadership is a choice. It's not a rank. I know many people at the senior most levels of organizations who are absolutely not leaders. They are authorities. And we do what they say because they have authority over us, but we would not follow them. And I know many people who are at the bottoms of organizations, who have no authority, and they are absolutely leaders. And this is because they've chosen to look after the person to the left of them, and they've chosen to look after the person to the right of them. This is what a leader is. The truth is, we can all be leaders. Because leadership is not about having a position of authority or power. Leadership is about serving those around you. One of the business leaders in this congregation told me this. True leadership is leading where you have no authority. You see, leadership is for everyone because leadership is not about a position. Leadership is about influence. And the way to be a leader, the way to influence is to serve. Now, it may seem counterintuitive to some. Why would I serve in order to lead? Many think if I'm in a position of power authority, I've got people to do that for me. I tell them what to do and they do it. And in many ways... I'm guilty of thinking the same thing. When I first came to Chapel Hill around three years ago, I was tasked with leading a church-wide initiative in the area of evangelism and apologetics. And if I'm honest, that position with the, the power and authority that went with it, although it was small, went a little to my head. It was my first job out of college. I came in with an air of confidence and, and a, a slight haughtiness. And when you combine that with the access that Pastor Mark gave me into his life, something that no one my age or in my position had ever had before, it doesn't take a leadership guru to work out that I began to alienate some of the other members of this church staff. Truthfully, I thought I could lead on the basis of my position alone, but the reality was I couldn't. Now, Pastor Mark, who if you get to know him, is not afraid of giving you a strong steer in the right direction, took me aside and let me know what I was blind to see myself, that I could not lead purely on the basis of my position, that I had to lead on the basis of earned trust, respect, and influence. And so, how was I to do that? He told me, love, serve, and sacrifice for those around you. He said, put your head in other people's offices and say hi. Get to know them. Care about them. Ask them about their lives. Get to know the names of their kids, the name of their spouse. He said, leave your office door open, even if you're doing something really, really important, so that you can be interrupted by others and that they can get to know you. He said, when you walk down the hallway, smile. Say hello to the people that you work with as you go past their desk. He said, if there's ever an opportunity to serve someone you work with, jump at it. Serve them to the best of your ability. Clean the dishes in the break room. 
And I can't stand here today and say, I've got this sorted, but I can stand here and say, I know I'm sorry for the way I acted, and I know that I'm doing better. I know that I love and care for the staff of this church more now than I did when I first arrived. And I know that in turn, I've earned their trust and respect in a way that I never had before. Great leadership is not the way of the throne, but the way of the cross. True leadership is sacrificing yourself for those around you. And the ultimate leader was Jesus. We've got one final verse to look at. Verse 45. Look down. For even the Son of Man, that's the way Jesus refers to himself. So, for even Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says to his disciples, this is the very reason I came. Now, we're familiar with the the TV show, Undercover Boss. We have CEOs of major corporations dressing up in disguises, coming on as a trainee, and being filmed interacting with lower-level employees. Well, Jesus is the ultimate undercover boss. The book of Colossians claims that before the Son of God came to earth, all things were created by him, through him, and for him that he existed before all things, and that in him all things hold together. In other words, Jesus is the boss of the whole world. And yet, Philippians tells us he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. The Son of God, the boss of the whole world, the one who has ruled all things from eternity past, went undercover as a servant, as a slave to all. He did this, as verse 45 in our passage tells us, to give his life as a ransom for many. You remember James and John wanted to occupy the places on Jesus' right and Jesus' left in his glory? Well, where was Jesus most glorified on earth? On the cross, And there were two men, one on Jesus' right and one on Jesus' left, as he was being crucified. And they were criminals who deserved to die, just like we deserve to die, because we have all rejected the source of life, God himself, and we have all turned away in our sin. But hear the good news. It is at the cross that we see the true glory of the Son who was willing to forsake everything, even his perfect relationship with his Father, that we might be set free. As Jesus says in this passage, he became a slave to all so that he might give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus could have come and lorded it over us. He could have come on his throne and struck fear and terror into all of us. He could have used his power and authority to strike fear into our hearts and to get his way. But he didn't. Jesus chose to serve. Jesus is the ultimate leader, the ultimate boss, not because he was first, but because he chose to be a slave to all. Jesus showed us that great leadership is not the way of the throne, 
but the way of the cross. He sacrificed himself for us so that we might sacrifice ourselves for others, that the world might thrive. And when people ask us why we do it, why we sacrifice ourselves for them, that they might thrive, we say, because Jesus did it for me. Great leadership is not the way of the throne. It's the way of the cross. And the cross is not only our example, but it is our power. It is by the cross that we are set free from a need to be successful. That we are set free from a need to do it on our own. That we are set free from a need to have power. And it is by the cross that we are enabled to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit working within us to enable us to sacrifice ourselves for those around us. So, fathers, as you leave on this Father's Day and you go home, remember the way to lead your family is not the way of the throne, but the way of the cross. Business leaders, as you go back into the workplace this week, remember the way that God has called you to lead your employees is not to lord it over them, not to exercise authority over them, but to serve and sacrifice for them, to love and to care for them. And everyone here, remember that you are called to lead those around you, no matter your rank or position. Because true leadership is not about your title. It is about loving and serving and sacrificing for those around you. Great leadership is not the way of the throne, but the way of the cross. We're ending each of these sermons in this series by praying for you. And this week on Father's Day, I want us to spend some time praying for the fathers of this congregation. So in previous weeks, we've asked people to stand up and people around have prayed for them, but I don't feel like standing up is appropriate given the words that we've just heard from Jesus. So I'm going to ask, fathers, if you're here and you're able, would you kneel down right where you are? I'm going to join you. And those around you, I want you to pray for these fathers. I'm going to lead us, but Uh, In order that you may not know the name of the father sitting around you, uh, so fathers, I'm going to get you to say your name on the count of three, loud enough so the people around you can hear. One, two, three. Fantastic. So I want you to pray for that father who is near you, who is around you, and and pray for them as I lead you. So let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you that you showed us in your son what true leadership looks like. Thank you that he was willing to become a slave to all so that he might give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you that you have set us free. Thank you that you have set these fathers free from the guilt and the shame of the times they have not been good fathers. Lord, would you help them to know that they are free of that by the blood of Jesus on the cross. 
and that they now stand pure, spotless, and righteous in Christ. And that when you look at them, you don't see their faults, their failures. You don't see their successes either, but you see Jesus. Would that set these fathers free from a need to perform so that they may be free to fail because Christ has performed for us. And in that freedom, would they give of themselves? Would we give of ourselves as fathers to our families? Would we serve? Would we sacrifice? Would we love? And Lord, we do this not only because you showed us how to do it, but we do this because you empowered us to do it. Lord, would the power of the cross be alive in us? That same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, would you fill us up with that spirit? Would you fill up the fathers of this congregation with that spirit that they may serve and love and sacrifice for their families, for their children, for their spouses, for those around them? And Lord, we pray that you would bless them as they leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen.